0: Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. My guest today is author Sally H. Weisinger. In today's episode, she and I talk about her memoir, Yes Again, Misadventures of a Wishful Thinker, that recounts her life as a late-in-life widow, and the highs and lows of navigating the tricky online dating world of the 2000s. Interwoven throughout her adventures in search of a new relationship are stories from her childhood as a military brat, her Southern heritage, her various marriages, and the volunteer work in Central and South America that helped her keep moving forward through it all. Yes Again shows us that good things happen when we open up our minds and hearts. Welcome to Lifeology, Sally.
1: Oh, thank you so much. This is very special for me.
0: I am looking forward to this. We had a wonderful call and the pre-call, a wonderful talk rather, and I found out that you are in Portland, Oregon, and I used to live there as well. And so it's kind of neat to talk to a fellow Portlander. They always talk about the the sunscreen or the uh, sun lotion is like (laughs) WD-40 because everybody has so much rain there. (laughs) It's so silly.
1: (laughs) And some kind of mold removal stuff because of all (laughs) the drizzle. (laughs)
0: Exactly, but it is a beautiful, beautiful area. Yeah. Now you have done so many things in your life. Um, I when I was reading all the information, I mean, you you give, you teach Spanish, you you go to, you do so much. You 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 give back in a lot of ways. Is that pretty much your normal disposition throughout your life? Was to do that?
1: Um. Well, in my twenties, when I was living in New Orleans, which is my hometown, I taught high school Spanish and college Spanish. But then, oh, wow. after a divorce, my first marriage, I brought my very young child to the Bay Area and moved away from Spanish, except for going to Spanish movies and reading Spanish yeah. novels. So when I retired, um, I went back to my love of Spanish, and that was that was when I started doing medical interpreting in Central and South oh, wow. America.
0: Wow, that's amazing! That is really well, special.
1: I, it was. You know, at that point, I had lost the very important people in my life. And I thought, now, what can I do to make my life of value? And Mm -hmm. I started getting involved in medical interpreting, and it just opened up a whole new world for me. I loved it. I I still love it. COVID has messed with that, um, but I will go back to it.
0: Yes, you will. Let's transition into your book. Yes, again, Misadventures of a Wishful Thinker.
1: What? What
0: was your desire to, or what was the reason for writing this memoir?
1: Well, um, initially, I didn't plan to write a memoir uh, Mm -hmm. when my husband died, and I met him through the old-fashioned newspaper personals. Part of my book (laughs) talks about that, but I was 34 years old, and I was in San Francisco, and it was a little racy to do that, but I just wasn't meeting people. so. When he died and we were together for 24 years, I just poured my heart and soul out on my computer. It was not intended to be a memoir. Um, And then a few years after he, maybe a year and a half after he died, I said, well, I met this wonderful man through the personals. I'm going to do it again. But by then I was pushing (laughs) 60 and everything was online and it was a whole different world. And I when I told my girlfriends some of what I was doing, they said, Sally, you need to write a book. Uh, and that's the <laughs> misadventures part. There were lots of misadventures. I, I was never scared. I was never unsafe. Sure. But there were some unpalatable things like people trying to extort money from me or mm. Googling a man who had a criminal past. Um and when I told him about it, he said, gee, is that a deal breaker for you? And I said, yes. You know, <laughs> the mean, fact that you have two convictions is a deal breaker.
0: Yeah, that would be a deal breaker. Yes. And so we're going to raise that bar a little higher. So <laughs> <moving
1: forward. laughs> we're not having a second date with you. No, no, no. <laughs> That
0: is hysterical we were um, you know, we were talking about other, other losses that you've had and obviously, obviously I want to respect your, your past and everything you've experienced, but you have experienced a lot of loss before and are we, uh, many people have, but yours there was a lot of loss right at one after the other when you experienced that loss I can't imagine how that was in the sense of your life probably felt like it was over you know many many areas of your life things were taken away from you. how did you find your ability to? Crawl your way out of that pit of despair.
1: Well, I would like to say that I never faltered, but that's not true. There were times that I was barely scraping my way out of a black hole. But um, my father was a military officer. My mother was kind of a lucille ball uh, mm. anti-main person who always looked on the bright side of things. And we'd moved a lot. I went to eleven different schools, three high wow. schools. And each time, you know, it was hard in the beginning, but then I made friends and it was hard again. And I made friends Mm -hmm. and I just knew that I just had to keep going, but it wasn't a straight path. There were zigzags and um, I have a lot of energy. My friends always say, do you ever take a nap? And the answer is no, but I sure did a lot of crying and Mm. I used to walk the streets at night up and down in Berkeley, where I've lived most of my life, you know, and say, you've got to get out of this, you've got to knock this, you've got to win this one. Um, And when my only child died, I went into serious grief Mm. counseling. So at that point, I said, I don't know if I can really get over this. Um, Mm -hmm. But with volunteer work, and with going back to Spanish, and I mean, If you go to Nicaragua and El Salvador and you know you spend more on a latte than a family of four spends for lunch, you know you don't have it so bad.
0: Perspective. Definitely perspective is a thing that I think many of us, we get. And that's the great thing about a memoir is it's different from an autobiography because autobiography just goes through linear aspects of one's life, but where a memoir gives a retrospective. In other words, you the other side of things, you can say, what did I learn? What what was happening for me at this time? What was my motivation? What was my reason behind that? I think that's one of the beautiful things about a memoir. So that's, you know, for you, you were able to get that perspective, giving back um, and realizing your life is painful as it was. There are other people as well who could probably use your help as well. And to as you give back, you're also healing yourself.
1: Well, there's a whole school of thought about altruism that Mm -hmm. Says the person being altruistic is also selfish in a way because they're getting something by giving something, mm-hmm. and boy, oh boy, oh boy! I mean, I volunteered at dog shelters because I adore rescue dogs. I volunteered with medical interpreting. You know, I those were the, oh, oh, I walked a service dog for a quadriplegic, and wow. every single time I did those things, I felt personally better. I felt rewarded. And I I mean, do things for a quadriplegic, it's really hard to feel sorry for yourself. Yes.
0: Yes. And psychology, we teach that whatever you perceive to be true. In other words, what you think about determines what you feel. What you feel determines how your body responds or how you you, you behaviorally respond. So the way it responds can be the way that the chemistry in your brain changes or... Um, or just you respond in a way that you're either angry with someone, so you yell at them. And so those, there's, that's kind of what, how it works. But what, with what you're saying here, I remember in my doctoral program, we were talking about altruism. And there was big discussion exactly what you said. Is it benevolent or is it is it altruistic or is it selfish? And and my response was, does it really matter? I mean, the world's getting better. So why are we even discussing this? I don't know. I was to just
1: gonna say it. <laughs> it doesn't matter it because doesn't matter. everybody wins. It's yes. a win for the person that's being yes. helped. It's a win for you helping because you're getting helped. And you know, there was one other thing. I hadn't thought of this until you started talking. One of the things, and I've kind of lost this insight, after my husband died, and again, after my parents died, and my daughter died, all within four years, mm-hmm. um, I said, you know, this really puts in perspective what matters. I am no yes. longer going to be worried When I get a bill that I think I've already paid and I find out there's a penalty, I'm no longer going to worry about being stuck in a traffic jam. I am not going to worry when I run out of milk. That doesn't matter. And I told myself, don't ever get caught up in the small stuff. Keep a perspective. And for a while I did. But traffic jams bother me now. I don't (laughs) like running out of milk.
0: But, the, but the, the, in the grand scheme of things, you get it. I wanted to go back to the altruistic thing. So what I was experiencing earlier about what you think determines what you feel determines how you respond. The way it works with altruism is when you think about helping someone, you have this feeling of, of gratitude or benevolence, I want to help them. And then when you do respond to them and you do something for them, all of a sudden what happens is your body rewards you with dopamine. So dopamine is one of those really feel good chemicals. It helps you It helps you stay focused, it gives you motivation, it gives you drive, and you feel good about it. So the reward that you get, that you are getting, or anybody who does something altruistic, is your body rewards you with dopamine once you give back to someone. That's why if you do something for you know a stranger on the street, you know if, if you give some a homeless person money or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden you just feel so good, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. What's really cool though, and this is how you'll know if you're being altruistic or not, because if you do something for someone and you don't have that hit of dopamine, and that means you actually are being selfish in the reason why you're doing it. Because you wanted to look good or appear good to the world, but that is your reward, is just what people think about you. And you're actually not, don't get the hit of dopamine because your intention was not there. So that's how you'll know for oh, yourself if you're wow. really being altruistic, was because you got that hit of that hit of dopamine, that, that excitement that, oh my gosh, my life just feels so good. So that's as my listeners and viewers right now, as you do something, you'll know what your motivation was because you can't hide from yourself. You'll know if you do something, if you have that reward, uh, if the, re- the reward center in your brain rewards you or if it doesn't so if it doesn't then you might want to look at why you were doing what you were doing but that's just a little nugget for you to think about as well
1: okay but i love this i love this (laughs) so if if i do uh, somewhere my subconscious knows Mm -hmm. that i'm just trying to do this to make myself look good maybe to you know put myself in a position of getting a promotion or getting Mm -hmm. somebody to admire me and i don't get the dopamine hit
0: correct Because you're, because your motivation was not actually benevolent. It wasn't pure. It wasn't altruistic. And that's the difference that, so it may look the same to the world, but you'll know for yourself what your motivation was. And the more information you have about, about that will determine how you can move your life in a different direction. Because if you're like, Oh, I want to do this for someone and I, and I don't get that reward, then we have to really look at, well, then why am I doing this? And for some people, that's fine. But if we really want to use some of the techniques you're talking about, about giving back, that's how you're healing yourself. Because when we're in a, uh, the fight or flight effect, we have all the cortisol in our body and, so, and all the norepinephrine and all these other chemicals. And so the more of that, well, that we have, the fight or flight, then it causes us to, our body breaks down, we don't metabolize well, we can't sleep well, and just all the stress, our hypertension. So when we do these things that you're talking about, we focus on how can I give back? Giving back reduces all the cortisol. It gives you the dopamine, and what they've also found when it comes to research that the people who do altruistic things for other others, it gives them more energy because of the dopamine, which then causes them to um, to exercise more and laugh more. And then the exercise and laugh more, they actually live longer lives. And so it's really it's it's a huge chain of events. So when you give back to others, you're actually not only rewarding yourself, but you will actually be able to live a little bit longer as well, which is pretty amazing.
1: Well, this really um, is helpful and it reduces guilt for me because I sometimes thought, gee, are, why are you doing this? Is it just for you? But I had the hit. There you go. Um, and I know what you mean. I'm not perfect. Yeah. And there were times that I did things, you know, to kind of make myself look good, not, it too. <laughs> not more at work. Yeah. And it was self-serving. Yeah. Um Anyway, that's That cool. is really
0: neat. Yeah. So I always, I always love teaching these little nuggets like that because it just gives people insight into why we do what we do and what's the motivation. Because once you understand the motivation, it allows you to either continue with that behavior if you feel it's healthy for you, or you can interrupt it and do something different. So remember, whatever you think about determines what you feel, determines how your body responds. And that's something in every single event, like we're talking now, you're thinking about something, you feel something, you respond to me in a certain way. So that's just the chain of command or chain of chain of events, how it is for every single person when we interact or just when we simply think. So let's transition into your book again. So I want to talk more about this. So yes, again, Misadventures of a Wishful Thinker. Of course, today I'm speaking with Sally H. Weisinger. Tell me more about it. So we, I know it's interwoven with a lot of your, your backstory when you were younger. Where does it start? How does, what's the opening, opening scene? Well...
1: I love my opening scene. This is the only book I've ever written. So I know the opening scene is incredibly important. And I feel lucky that I came upon it without the skill or the talent to think this through. Um, But I had moved to San Francisco um, with my three-year-old daughter. I wasn't getting any child support. um, And I was having really low-level jobs. I couldn't get a teaching job. And I didn't have any time to meet anyone. And about five years after I'd been here, I was 34 and I did the Bay Guardian mm-hmm. newspaper uh, personals. Mm-hmm. And I looked at all of the um, I looked at all of the way women describe themselves as sexy mm-hmm. and curvaceous and sensual and experienced in in techniques so i wrote a very boring thing that said sensitive intelligent woman (laughs) you know slender i didn't say pretty i didn't say beautiful i didn't say sexy and seeks male counterpart somebody strong gentle intelligent good sense Mm -hmm. of humor that was it and i put it in the newspaper for two weeks And it cost about $45. I was really trying to keep the price down. This would have been in 1978. So I got 60 responses and I met 12 yeses and I put eight maybes and then 40 no's. I mean, I got letters from an older man who wanted a younger woman, a younger man who wanted an older experienced woman, people who wanted threesomes and two prisoners at San Quentin who wanted me to visit them on weekends.
0: Okay.
1: And Very diverse. there was one maybe, yeah, visit visit them on weekends. Um, so obviously yes. they were yes. no's. Um, but there was one person in the maybe pile who had put a picture of his dog in his envelope. And he said, if you don't want to meet me, would you send me my photograph back? And he included a self-addressed stamped envelope. And I kept, I love dogs. Mm. They mean all the world to me. I was going to return it, but too much time went on. The postal rates changed. I kept meaning to go get a whole bunch of two cent Mm -hmm. stamps. And I just said, I'll meet this guy. Well, oh my gosh. We met at the ice cream (laughs) store near my house, and I fell in Mm. love. And if it hadn't been for a two cent postal rate increase, I would not have had those 24 years. Wow. So that's how the book starts. That's amazing. And I could never understand I could never understand why I put him in the maybe pile. He his letter came across as glib mm. and kind of self-conscious and kind of strutting his stuff and he spent the rest of our time together saying why did you put me in the maybe pile? <laughs> Nobody ever put me in the maybe pile. That's and I so said, good. thank God the yeah. postal yeah. rates changed. Well, you know, it's
0: so interesting because when, sometimes we don't understand in the moment, things don't make sense, but you know, every event in our life is like a jigsaw puzzle piece. Every, so you had, you got, uh, you moved to, um, you moved to San Francisco or the Bay Area. You had that happen and then you were in the, in the postals. And then you had all these other you know, opportunities and then, you know, the two cent stamp. And so all these little things are, you can break them down into micro, micro units, if you will, or little little really small jigsaw puzzle pieces. Well, the dog. Yeah, exactly. And so you bleak.
1: The, the, the photograph of the dog. <laughs> I mean, the photograph of the dog. If he'd had another copy of the photograph, I wouldn't have yeah, had to send exactly. it back. But one of the other most wonderful things that happened is that he was in a men's group um, and they met every Monday night. And there were eight people in the men's group, seven people plus himself. And he said to his men's group, I've re- I've met this really nice woman from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And one of the other men said, Sally Weisinger. So people in his men's group, one person in his men's group knew me.
0: Really? That is crazy.
1: <laughs> I just found that, that amazing. That is amazing.
0: And I think that's a thing, you know, when we look at, like I said, when it comes to all the different events, you know, the events that you didn't want to go through in life that you would never want to go through again, but they link together to be able to talk today and be able to, to share your book. Once again, yes, again, Misadventures of a Wishful Thinker, because I know so many people when they do read this book or have already read it, because I was reading the reviews as well, how life-changing it is for so many people. So I think that's a lesson. Another lesson for all of us is that regardless of where we are in life, you wait a little bit longer, you'll find some perspective and you'll realize how this one event links to another event, which linked to another event, and then it all does, doesn't necessarily mean it makes sense, but it, there's a purpose and a plan that comes out of it. And that's the important part because you can look for that. You'll find it.
1: Now remind me of that. It's not a saying, it's a concept that you drop a stone in a pond mm-hmm. or in a stream and the ripples, yes. you know, the ripples affect uh-huh. other ripples affect other ripples. That's, exactly. that's what you're saying. Exactly. And so it of.
0: also is like the chaos theory, which they talk about. Um, it's, the, the theory that basically says a butterfly can flap its wings on one side of the world and all of a sudden there's a tsunami on the other side of the world. And so that's the same concept as far as everything is interconnected and everything's interwoven together in some way. And that's also the great thing, as well, is like when you think about this, like I just have a chance to talk with you today, having so much fun. And so when I hang when we're done with this, I'm sure I'm gonna talk to my mom about this. And she's like, Oh, I can't read to read this book. And so it's Aww. gonna be so it's interesting. Um all of that, uh. that affect. In fact, just a little personal my father passed away in 2010. So, my mother's also a widow. So, as a child, being able to go through that with her and to experience that, you know, as, as someone who has experienced loss before. And so, that's why, you know, when I, when I read your information, I was like, oh my gosh, I would really, you know, like to speak more with you because loss, as we all know, whether it's a spouse or not, loss is so painful. And so, but through that, there's always hope and to hear your story of how you
1: how old is your mother and how is she doing?
0: Thank you for asking. She is 73 now. 70, yeah, 73. She's doing well. Uh, yes. Yeah, so it's been 12, as the time of this recording, almost 13 years since he's passed. So she's doing phenomenal. She's really involved in her church and she, um, she gives it back to a lot of widows and she talks to them and she really helps them and helps them recognize that where you're at today, as painful as it is with perspective, with time that grief is can still be there, but there's, you still have a purpose and you have to find your purpose. And so when you find your purpose, that's when you're able to give back to other people as well.
1: Well, it's interesting just the uh, yesterday or the day before I listened to a Ted talk by, Mm -hmm. I forget what her first name is, but her last name is McInnery or McInnerney. And she talks about you don't you don't get over grief, you move through it. And I have a dear friend who just lost her husband. And I told Mm. her, I sent it on to her. And I said, don't watch this unless you can afford a box of Kleenex and some time to recover. But, you know, the woman has found another husband, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you don't have the feelings you had. Um, But it gets better. And you do move, you move on, but not, you don't give it up.
0: Correct. Because if we compare what was to what is today, it's never going to be the same. What was, was always perfect because that's what we always wanted. But so when you compare what was to what is today, they're never going to match. And so that's why you have to say they're different. I always tell people it's important not to compartment, it's important to compartmentalize the event. So if let's say the event happened, you know, for us, it was in January of 2010, every January of that year or the next year, if you memorialize the event and you 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 memorialize the death, then what happens is it triggers you back to the initial grief that you experienced, which then feels like it sets you back. And so every time you experience something or every time a day goes by or an anniversary date goes by, you think, well, what's really different between this date versus yesterday? Because if you assign a date or a pain and emotion to a certain date, you re-traumatize yourself to the time of the event. So that's why it's important to experience the grief all the time. But if you do mark it with a certain date, then unfortunately that will cause more pain and be harder for someone to move on and quote, accept today because they still keep triggering themselves back to the initial grief.
1: So I have a question about Mm -hmm. re-traumatizing. Last week would have been my daughter's fifty first birthday. Hmm. She died when she was thirty five. Her birthday still packs a wallop in my stomach. I'm sure it does. How do you not re-traumatize? I mean, are you saying you should you should do something to not I I I mean, most of the year I'm just fine. Mm-hmm. But
0: her birthday is, is a kick in the pants, you know, and and thank you for sharing that. I'm so sorry that I, I, you told me a little bit before what happened and my heart goes out to you when it comes to the, the trauma as well. It's if you sell, if, if a person celebrates the date, like for example, the birthday, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but if you know, it's going to cause you so much grief, how can you spread that out so every day is a celebration of her life? Every day is a version of her memory. So when you do that and spread it out over a period of time, it doesn't pack as big of a wallop as it would have because you're able to, to like I said, make it so it's not so, um, so powerful, all condensed emotions into one time. So my suggestion, and just a suggestion, people can do whatever that is healthy for them, is to be mindful of that. So if you know the time's coming up, what can you do to spread out that grief? So let's say you do it for a month. A celebration of her for a month. You know what does that look like? And so, when you're able to have small little things of with her or thoughts about her, journal about her, etc., that then allows for the grief not to feel so condensed and it's a little more diluted throughout the year.
1: Um, I would say over the years, because it's been 16, the grief has gotten diluted. Not mm-hmm. the first few years, yeah, but it's I'm definitely sure. better, um, less intense. But I'm not sure I want to spread it out over a month. Yeah. I'm not and I, mean, that's I it. know it's yeah. coming. Uh-huh. You know, but but it doesn't immobilize me. Yeah, um, I'd like to say something about an experience. This is actually chapter 12 of my book, which might be okay. my favorite chapter in the book. And I named all the chapters after songs. And oh. this song is called Bridge Over Troubled Water, mm-hmm. which was the Simon and Garfunkel yes with the Peruvian music mm-hmm. um, about five years ago, I can't remember the exact year. I didn't have a medical interpreting trip. So a girlfriend asked me to go to Peru and I felt guilty because I was just taking a fun trip to a South American country without,
0: yeah. you know, contributing.
1: And we went to the Sacred Valley of Cusco, and we had a man who was an anthropologist, Western or uh, educated, but he was also a shaman, and he was a guide. And he took us on hikes every day. And then one night, he had, I mean, I would have said it was a seance. It was just quiet, dark, about seven of us were there. And I had been speaking Spanish with everybody around, but never with him. And he called me to to come be with him. And he started talking to me in Spanish. And I didn't know he knew I spoke Spanish. And Uh he said, why are you walking around held in, quiet? What's painful to you? And I said, after I said, gee, I didn't know I came across that way because I was cheerful, I thought. Sure, of course. But he said something. And I said, because I don't think I'll ever love anyone the way I loved my husband and my daughter. And he asked me a bunch of questions and I answered them how they died, when they died, how I felt, how I had celebrated them. And I said, well, I don't know how I celebrated them. And he gave me instructions to wash my face with some kind of herbs when I got Mm -hmm. back to the States and make a tea of some kind of herbs when I got back to the States. And he provided those herbs. And he said, on this date, I want you to burn red candles for each of them with a photo of each of them. Mm -hmm. So I had a picture of my beautiful daughter in her Apache helicopter. She had gorgeous red hair and she had her helmet on. And she could have been a Victoria's Secret model. And oh, then wow. I had a picture of my husband and me. And I burned a red candle. And he said that was for the passion that I felt for them. Mm. And he said, don't blow them out. And the next morning, and I'm not woo-woo, but the next yeah. morning the candles were still burning. And I I didn't wow. want them ever to burn out. Yeah. I mean, I just felt the surge of passion. Now, the second, like three days later, I was supposed to burn golden candles, um, and they had to be beeswax next to the same pictures, and he said, you need to illuminate their path, and their path is different from your path. You need to illuminate their path so they can be where they are. And again, I went to sleep with the candles on and the next morning they were almost gone. But they and it was wonderful to wake up mm,
0: and see these amazing. candles. I love and
1: then the third day, um, a few days later, I was to burn green candles for regrowth, renaissance, mm. rebirth to take me on my path. And, you know, when I first did it, I said, well, of course, I'll do it, you know, but it really, really made me focus on passion, on illuminating a path on rebirth. Mm, And my friends all said, you seem so relaxed. Mm. What happened? And, you know, it was fabulous.
0: That's fantastic. Um, I love that. Well, I'm with that. Unfortunately, we're going to have to close up right here, but uh, I've had such a fantastic time having you on my show today, Sally. If my listeners want to find out more information about you and to purchase this book, because you just told us so many things that I know are intriguing to many people. Uh, but if they can find this book, any um, where would they find this book rather? Yes, again, Misadventures of a Wishful Thinker. Where would, where would we be able to find this or purchase this?
1: Okay. Well, I have an author page, um, Sally Weisinger, facebook author page i also have a website that says yes memoir.com and it gives a bunch of links where you can buy it and the only thing i would like to say is put a plug in for your local independent bookstore or any of the stores that i have on my on my website
0: Wonderful. Well, my listeners also know that if they cannot find this information in their place, simply go to the show notes at JamesMillerLifeology.com, and I will link you with all of Sally's information and all of the links of the of the bookstore bookstores or booksellers that she has. Sally Weisinger, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest of today. James, this
1: has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.
0: I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today.